This is Forbes Under 30 on Podcast One. And I'm your host, Steve Goldblum. Today, I'm speaking with Eben Bayer. He's the CEO of Ecovative, a company that's putting mushrooms at the forefront of environmental change. Eben, welcome to the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. You know, one of my favorite lines in the movie The Graduate is when Benjamin Braddock's father's friend says to Benjamin Braddock, plastics. Do you remember that line? <laughs> I do. And I do. Tell us your, your plans and, and why mushrooms are going to disrupt the plastics in the packaging industry. What hand you're having in that? Well, I think the line today would be the future is biology uh, and biofabricated and biologically powered technology. And uh, at Ecovative, we've been fortunate to be at the forefront of that revolution. And essentially what we do is we use living organisms uh, to grow plastic-like materials. Uh, they perform a lot like conventional plastics, but unlike the synthetic petrochemical-derived versions, they're totally compatible with the Earth's ecosystem. And in my opinion, biology is actually better and more powerful technology. And what I mean by that is you can actually create material properties that are hard to do with conventional synthetic chemistries. So not only is it healthier and safer, I think long-term we'll get even better materials from a performance standpoint. Well, Evan, when you read up on you, it, it lists you as a mushroom uh, technologist, which is incredible. Um, and, and it lists your skills as sort of colliding uh, with, you know, on the one hand, mechanical engineering meets farming. So can, can you give us some backstory on uh, Ecovative and, and tell us how you got there? From a farming standpoint, I'm really fortunate to have had the opportunity to grow up on a small working farm in central Vermont, which um, is the ultimate uh, entrepreneurship boot camp, uh, because farming really is about entrepreneurship and resourcefulness and building things and, of course, uh, using nature and working with nature. Um, and so that was sort of uh, where I came from. And uh, at university, um, I encountered both my co-founder, uh, Gavin McIntyre, uh, and a really uh, powerful and influential professor, Bert Swerzy, who taught a class called Inventor Studio. Um, and it was there sort of my experiences in farming and what I observed in nature came together with need finding for the real world and sort of led to the insight of using mycelium uh, to grow materials like packaging, particle board, building insulation, and even furniture. Was part of what made that professor so impactful in your life, did they give you, uh, did they let you incubate and like like 10%, 20% of your time go to things you were interested in? <laughs> I would say that Bert Swerzy's uh, was more like 110% of the time you should be incubating. <laughs> That's good. Uh, his, his, his belief um, really strongly was that, uh, People can do far more than they imagine, and especially uh, young people. And he really pushed his students to uh, to innovate and be creative in ways that could benefit people and planet, uh, but were also patentable uh, can be turned into real businesses. <laughs> so that's kind of a he set high bars for his students, and uh, he, you know he would call you at three a.m. He he would just push, push, push. But he he supported creativity to the extreme. Well, what was the moment in time for you where you realized like mushrooms were going to be in your future, that this, that this was something that was really going to be turned into a business and upend uh, an enormous business uh, in manufacturing? So I had this flash of insight in, in Bert's class, um, which was this remembering that I'd seen mycelium holding particles together. Um, and thinking that you could actually apply that as a living glue. And for me, that was a cool thought, but 
what I wanted to know is was it thermodynamically and um, economically more favorable? Because I knew at that point in my college career that um, you can do lots of cool things, but if they don't fit into our existing economic structures, you won't get to scale. And when it was, I started to do some back-of-the-envelope math and looked at how much nutrition you have to get in, and I, I'd grown some samples to get out how much strength, and it was very favorable, I started to realize that this could be a more elegant pathway to creating the products around us. That's when I got really excited. And then later on, uh, it was uh, when we shipped our first product in the packaging sector, and you know, it's continued as we've, we've entered new markets. And you, you call it low-tech biotech, is that right? That's right. So how, how has farming, would you say, informed um, the way that you run your business, the way that you approach problems, what did, how did growing up on a farm and working on a farm uh, inform your behavior? I'd say there's two primary ways um, it's influenced how I've built Ecubative. Uh, the first is cultural. Um, as I said, farmers are very entrepreneurial. Um, you know, you, if a building's falling down, you fix it, even if you're not an architect. If the tractor breaks, you repair the injectors, even if you're not a mechanical engineer. Um, so there's this very, like, scrappy, hard work mentality. And as we were getting started, we actually, um, I mean, we hired preferentially for people who worked on farms. You know, ideally, you have the right technical background, but if someone came in and said, you know, I grew up on a farm, it was like, yes, <laughs> you're in. Uh, and then... Yeah, you're hired, yeah. Uh, and then the other component is how you work with biology. So the first biological revolution, uh, like growing corn ethanol um, or alcohol from yeast cells, was all about like harnessing cells uh, to make a compound and then throwing the cell away. But the cell, in my mind, uh, is really the most beautiful part of that equation. Just like a tree is one of the most perfect materials you can imagine. It's a beautiful biofabricated material. It captures these ethereal photons from the air, and it turns them into this amazing composite material. Uh, and so our approach at Ecovative is much more how do you work with biology to capture that full suite of properties that an organism presents rather than sort of putting it in a, um, a niche and picking up some metabolite that it produces. Well, can you walk us through the process of inoculating crop waste? And how long does it take to go from crop waste to a piece of packaging? Uh, it's quite fast, actually. You know, so if uh, trees are, you know, biofabricated and measured on the order of years or decades, uh, crops are measured in the order of weeks or months. Um, it takes us about seven days to go from uh, corn stalks or hemp pith to a finished grown part. And this is why we, we call it low-tech biotech, because in practice, the, the process is quite simple. Um, you get uh, a loose chopped set of particles. It can be wood chips or hemp pith. You wet it, you cook it, you inoculate it with the mycelium cells. So you essentially mix mycelium in like you were mixing yeast into bread. And then you, you put all that in a mold of the final shape you want. And then the magic is the mycelium grows through and around the particles. And as it's growing, it's making this fibrous uh, network. And that network's excreting the enzymes needed to break down the wood chips. And as it breaks down the wood chips, it gets the food to produce the network. So it grows faster and faster and faster. Um, and it's almost like concrete curing. Uh, except biological. And then at the end, you end up with this fully bound mass uh, that's alive, and you can take it out of the mold. It's quite tough and rubbery. Um, and then you dry it out, and you've got a finished product. Well, you, you make sure to mention that you, you don't use spores in your in your product. What, why is that so important? <laughs> well, uh, two reasons. Um, one is the product quality. 
reason, which is we clone uh, our mycelium strain just like you propagate a plant uh, by taking a cutting. Um, and that allows us to guarantee you get the same product over and over. Um, if you inoculate something with spores, um, they'll mate, and you get you may get different properties. Um, just like uh, if you crossbred two tomato plants, you might get a slightly different tomato. They'll be in the same family, but providing industrial products, you really want to make sure they're consistent day in, day out. Um, and then the other reason is, is really related to consumer uh, perception, uh, which is uh, when we started, we had a lot of people who were concerned about mold and spores, and we really wanted to distinguish that this uses higher-level fungi, uh, like the mushrooms you'd see growing on trees in the forest, and is not at all related to the kinds of molds you might see growing in your bathroom. So just to um, g- you know, give some real-world examples, I just ordered a magic bullet from Amazon. It arrived within about 24 seconds, and, uh, <laughs> and there was some styrofoam packaging in it and all this packaging, and I had to throw it out. That should have been, I should, it should have been mushroom packaging. Right? Uh, that would be my dream. Well, yours and mine. So explain other ways that we might see it, it w- w- ways that, uh, that, you, that your product might enter our lives and what we do with it instead of throwing it out. Yeah, so our, our philosophy um, kind of can be summed up by everything for the home grown, uh, and that includes packaging, which is something you receive uh, for your home. And if, if you'd ordered a, uh, some Dell computers and some different uh, pieces of furniture on Amazon, you would have actually gotten our packaging. Um, and if you did, you could compost that in your garden, um, or if you felt so inclined, you could still landfill it. And if it fell off the back of a truck and into the ocean, it be- would become fish food, not plastic pollution. Uh, which we think is really important. Uh, there's going to be more plastic than fish in the ocean soon. Uh, and uh, the issue we saw with protective packaging, and specifically plastic packaging, is not necessarily the recyclability component, which is quite good, but so much of it falls out of the human technical nutrient cycle. And so for disposable applications, our belief is you really have to have materials that if they fall out and end up in nature, can be dealt with by nature. Right. Things that are nutrients not pollutants. And I literally could grow these mushrooms in my backyard with the packaging. Uh, That's right. Um, But it doesn't have to be disposable. Um, We've grown buildings using our insulation, and uh, most recently we we released both our own line of interior design items, everything from uh, beautiful acoustical tiles for office environments that go on the wall uh, through strong structural boards that make up furniture. Um, And we're both creating finished products with this platform that you know, will last indefinitely like a wooden chair in your home, uh, as well as working with larger manufacturers to implement our our technology in their systems at scale. So sort of a dual approach there. So that's it. So when you, the wooden chair that you mentioned, what is the cost difference in the wood that you make the chair versus the, you know, the plywood versus the the, the mushrooms that we're using? What's cheaper? Well, we're taking two very different approaches. Uh, We're working with some very large companies to implement at scale um, with the goal of providing cost savings and eliminating the toxic resins they use, like urea formaldehyde, which cause cancer uh, and shouldn't be in people's homes. Uh, On the incubative side, we're producing finished furniture, um, which is competitive, um, I'd say, with something you'd find at a um, mid-range design store uh, for people who want to have the product today. Um, and that's made in our pilot plant by our engineers, uh, scientists, and production team in upstate New York. So there's sort of two very different uh, lines that you can think of. Um, one is focused on commodity and cost reduction, uh, and the other is really focused on having these materials available today for your home uh, if you're excited about having these. 
But where do you want to go? Where where, where does the, the the business go five years from now? We're built. We're building homes with this material. Well, I would. Hope, I would. Yes, that's. I, I would say growing homes with these materials. That's but, right. Um, there's a couple. There's a couple trajectories that I see occurring. Uh, one is there are people all around the world um, now growing materials, um, not just mycelium-based materials. Folks are growing cement, uh, bio-cement. Folks are growing uh, textiles in the lab, and we want to help enable that ecosystem. So we've created actually kits. You said you could grow these mushrooms in your backyard. You can, you can go on our website. You can buy the same raw material from our factory, dehydrated, our GIY product, and you can grow your own products. And we've had some artists and designers actually create some very successful product lines doing this. So uh, one of our goals is to see this uh, this economy, this bioeconomy of growing products really take off. And we want to be part of it, but we want to be part of a larger ecosystem. Um, the second is to partner uh, with the really large producers that have existing capital assets and help them upgrade these capital assets using biology. Um, and the third is to create a leading line of interior design products for your home that are grown using our mycelium materials, everything from our vegan leather to our grown seat cushions to the, the wood material through the packaging you'll get the, the, the items in, right? So everything for your home will be grown. Um, and also feathering in other biological innovations as people come up with them and incorporating them into this range. Um, I think to really show the value uh, to consumers and end users and help create that draw. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, guys, David Smalley here, reminding you to check out Dogma Debate on the Podcast One app, iTunes, and basically everywhere else you could possibly hear a podcast. Dogma Debate is basically a way for you to peek in on conversations you've always wondered about. Say a hardcore anti-gay preacher meets an atheist who knows the Bible like the back of his hand, or a far-left social justice warrior meets a different kind of liberal who doesn't want to join in on the riots. On Dogma Debate, I talk to people who completely disagree with me, and I let them tell me why they think I'm wrong, why I should be on their team, and why they take such an extreme stance. And sometimes you'll just hear me hanging out with like-minded people and laughing during segments like Republicans Say the Darndest Things or Fact Check Yo Mama. It all happens on Dogma Debate, right here on Podcast One. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on what you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals during our Spring Black Friday sale, like 19-ounce Bonnie vegetable and herb plants, four for $10. And pick up five bags of Scott's Mulch in store only for just $10. Whatever's on your list, hurry in and save during our Spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417 while supplies last. Not valid in Alaska or Hawaii. Scott's offer valid in store only. See store for details, U.S. only. It sounds like you're you're going to make America renewable again. Have you ever thought about messaging to the, our current president and let him letting him know about these uh, green manufacturing jobs that are in America? Um, I would love to have a conversation with the current president. Um, I'll tell you right now we uh, we've been affected by the new administration. Um, our EPA funding, uh, a contract to develop a high performance foam for the aerospace industry through the EPA. I was frozen last week, and I have no idea what's happening. And, you know, we're talking about domestic manufacturing, local jobs, and building great technology in America. Uh, And it's crazy to me that these programs are either being cut or frozen. That is, um, but how much? How much have they they frozen? Uh, So far, a $100,000 contract, which is, um, you know, it's not uh, insignificant. It won't 
it won't affect necessarily the trajectory of the business in the short term, but we have two or three research scientists devoted to this future research program, and the question is what are the jobs that might be created next year from the program or in the following years as, as that technology matured. Evan, this is an unbelievable opportunity to corner the president in bringing jobs to America, manufacturing jobs, which he's talked about explicitly uh, from, from, from since announcing his campaign, and here we go, and green jobs. I mean, how do you say no? Well, it sounds like he's actually figured out a way to say no. But so. uh, Well, I hope he listens to this podcast and gives us a call or more likely sends me a tweet. Well, I think you need to go to D.C. <laughs> Eben, you started this uh, this uh, company in a basement. That's where all great ideas uh, start from. Um, but it was a basement. Where was it? It was in your school. It was some incubator. It looked like a classroom for the photographs I've seen. Okay, well, so these are one of the, some of the funny stories that occur in the early days of entrepreneurship. We, we rented a tiny office in the basement of our business incubator, like 100 square feet. Uh, and, and one day, Gavin and I were, you know, we really, we put pressure cookers in there. All our neighbors were, like, you know, building websites. And we're, we're like, steaming stuff and doing all sorts of weird things that we weren't supposed to do. You're doing mushrooms in the basement. It's a great story. <laughs> yeah, growing mushrooms, yeah. And one day we're like, I'm like, what's in this closet door? And it's like locked, and we're like, you know, we need a little more space. We open the closet door, and there's like 2,000 square feet of this abandoned print shop that our office was adjacent to in the basement. And we just moved in. We cleaned it out. We moved in. We built the lab. And about six months later, uh, the university discovered us. And I'm sure they never would have let us use the space. Uh, in fact, I know they went because it was later remediated for asbestos. But um, they let us stay. Uh, and that was a, a huge help for us because we were able to build a, a mini production factory sort of in secret in the basement there. I love it. it it's sort of like breaking bad without all the bloodshed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Less drugs, less blood. Yeah, that's right. But we had, we did have a lot of explosions, and the fire department came with such frequency. I mean, we built our own ovens, which we didn't know. You know, they made out of like 10 hair dryers in parallel. And I, I remember one January day, we were the fire department came again, and all the other tenants were huddled up in the parking lot as a big group. And like, there's the six incubated people huddled, and they're all looking at us. It was like, about that time, we're like, we really got to find a new space. Well, there's some drama, though, in, in your uh in your story, in that uh, as I was running through the sequential highlights of your life that are available on YouTube, um, there was a, a CSI show dedicated to the uh, beginnings of your company. That was one of these really um, fortunate incidents. We we just traveled to the Netherlands where we won a transformative prize in our business career, uh, which was a half-million-euro prize uh, that's run every year by the Postcode Lottery Green Challenge for the technology that can have the biggest impact on climate change. So we've gone from being unbelievably underfunded, you know, like $5,000 here and there, you know, really just bootstrapping it to suddenly having enough money to build a real factory. That's when we moved out of the incubator. Um, and that competition's open again this summer. So for any entrepreneurs listening, I encourage you to go to the Green Challenge website and apply. Um, it's the biggest business plan competition in the world, and it's for green technology. But we came home, and I got a call from a – it was actually um, a set producer, and they kept asking me how they could grow this material. I'm like, why are you trying to grow it? And they are like, oh, I need it for CSI, this TV show. Uh, it's in the script. And I was like, oh, no, like it probably is involved in you know the murder. They're calling it Solian Green. It's going to be bad. And I'm like, well, send me the script. They send me the script. It turns out to be a great reading uh, on the material. 
uh, it helps solve the crime. And so we said, great, we'll send you the material. Um, you can put it on air. You can show it's fireproof. And please just, you know, mention it's made by Ecubatus. And um, it's the kind of thing you could never pay for, you could never create. We just got really lucky. So what about mushrooms um, makes them scalable? So like all uh, biological systems, um, they're self-replicating. And so you start with one cell, and then you get two cells, and you get four cells, and you get eight cells, um, on and on. And that's a very powerful property because it's it's like it's like biological bootstrapping. So we can start with an arbitrarily small amount of – if you think of mycelium as a living plastic, we put a tiny amount of this living plastic material, this living polymer, into the mold. And then over the course of 48 or 72 or 96 hours, it replicates and replicates and replicates. And that's at the heart of the scalability, and that's how it's different than conventional polymers, where you start with a barrel of oil and you get, you know, uh, a kilogram of polystyrene at the end. With biology, you can start with a single cell and get, you know, a mile of micromaterials at the end. Well, have you noticed a competition in people? I mean, people in the plastics business, have they come at you in sort of a knife fight way and, and said, hey, listen... Have they planted stories about you? I mean, obviously, I want this to be more dramatic than maybe it is, but you tell me. <laughs> so, you know, this is a question we, we've gotten a lot over the years. And, you know, the honest answer is we no. We haven't really been attacked, though I will say recently the, uh, the, EPA, uh, the EPS industry, the expanded polystyrene industry, which makes what I think of as, as toxic white stuff, right? It's this chemical that lasts for thousands of years. It's in our oceans. It's in our fish. It's the packaging you refer to. Um, sent out a really weird press release um, a couple weeks ago basically saying IKEA said they're going to eliminate styrofoam. They said they may be working with this company, Ecovative, on it. They're working with other companies on paper products. Like, we think this is a bad idea. And I think that's really the sign that that industry is finally starting to realize it's dying. By becoming a little defensive about it and not really offering ideas, facts, or solutions? Exactly, yeah. It was not a fact that it was an argumentative-based press release, which was like, hey, Mr. Customer, come back and use us. And, you know... It's not the right approach. You know, they're not, uh, these large companies are transitioning away. It may not be the mushroom materials. It may be the paper in the packaging industry. Uh, but they're moving away from these materials because they have a real environmental burden. How, how do you respond uh, to that other than, you know, uh, appearing on the podcast? What do you do? Do you, do you approach IKEA and say, listen, we have, uh, we have plans for you? Uh, we do. Uh, not necessarily IKEA specifically, but um, our, our goal is to partner with incumbents. So even if they end up, uh, and in this case, I mean, I think IKEA is doing the right thing. They are, have set forth some really uh, ambitious sustainability goals. Um, but our goal is to work with incumbents in the industry, even uh, if they're using chemicals, which most of them are, because that's what's available, uh, and form partnerships. So, you know, we're, we, our, our goal is to play nicely, and so far that's worked out. But we certainly had a couple bumps on the road with corporates. What does the conversation look like when you approach a business and, you, and you're, you're asking them to adopt uh, a, new, a, new, a new style of packaging? Uh, what's that pitch like? So you have to have a compatible corporate culture, otherwise it won't work. And then you have to have someone inside who really can see and believe in the vision. Um, and then, you know, it's the sale or the conversation is really around um, – all the other benefits of using biological systems beyond the sustainability impact. Sustainability is important for all these large companies, but 
it does come back to the bottom line. So you have to talk about better performance. Maybe it's fire resistance um, in an acoustical panel, which is important for interior applications. Uh, maybe it's health and safety for a hospital, which doesn't want urea formaldehyde, a cancer-causing compound, coming out of their furniture. Um, maybe it's reducing the waste and disposal burden for people's customers buying packaging. But you really have to frame it in that language. You, you, you really, if you approach it with this material is green and great for the planet, um, it, it doesn't work. And what about the price point? Is the mushroom product more expensive than traditional plastic products? At scale, we are very competitive with conventional plastics. Um, because the materials are grown and they're composites, it, you, it's hard to do an apples to apples. But uh, we are we are either cost neutral or um, less expensive at scale. Um, the the sort of specialty products we produce in our pilot plant in upstate New York are meant to be positioned uh, at a higher price point. But those are finished goods like uh, furniture for your home. Well, to give us a sense of what you're dealing with, what what harm is posed by traditional packaging and 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 furniture making? The biggest problem in my mind is what happens when these materials fall out of the human technical nutrient cycle. So styrofoam that ends up in a landfill, that's that's actually that's okay. Uh, styrofoam that ends up in a building that's going to last hundreds of hundreds of years, that's a nice use of that material. But when those bits that they are building the building from get scraped off by the workers and promulgate down uh, into a field, and you see them in a park. They're going to be there forever. They're going to break down into smaller and smaller bits. They're going to be bioaccumulated into organisms, and they're going to end up in your bloodstream. And styrene's a known carcinogen. Um, and in the furniture industry, the glues they use really release some pretty noxic, uh, toxic compounds like urea formaldehyde. Well, we, we've talked about um, the future, where you're heading. Can you give us a sense, Evan, where... Ecovative is right now in terms of its business model? How many employees? How many investors? Yeah, so we have uh, about 70 employees. Um, we raised about $25 million over the course of our lifespan. Uh, we have two factories um, spanning 40,000 square feet. Uh, one of them is a pilot plant that's focused on research, development, and working with corporate partners. Uh, the other is a factory that's devoted to production of our packaging material, our furniture boards, um, and our finished goods. Um, and we have a really diverse mix of people on the team. We have artists, we have designers, we have engineers. <laughs> as, as I said, we have farmers. Um, we have uh, production team members that help grow and move all the components around the factory. Um, so it's quite a diverse group. And have you done any uh, traditional marketing in terms of getting the word out? <laughs> the reality is um, we've just tried to tell our story uh, and live our values, and we've been uh, very lucky that that's uh, resulted in um, good coverage of the company. So we haven't done a lot of marketing, though, uh, as we build this line of finished products for the home, uh, we're starting to build out the e-commerce section of our website. Um, and as this miscellaneous ecosystem of you know, sort of students and artists and designers is evolving. We're starting to do more web marketing. But um, the truth is we haven't, you know, it's embarrassing how little money we've spent on marketing compared to how much uh, effort we've put into the engineering and science. Well, that's a good sign. That's a good sign. Uh, can you tell us now, when we were talking, when we were doing the sound check for this, you mentioned you were in your cabin looking at snowflakes in New York, upstate New York, I believe. Can you let listeners know, you sort of practice what you preach, right? What does the cabin look like? What's it made of? Uh, yeah, so I live uh, in a small off-grid cabin. Uh, it's a timber frame uh, with uh, mycelium insulation, uh, and it's off-grid. 
I have a small hydroelectric from a stream and some solar panels, and um, we're near Troy, but we're off in the woods, and we heat with 100% wood we harvest from the land. That also makes all the hot water we use for our shower, um, and that's also how I, I grew up in Vermont, and um, I do it because I love it, but uh, I definitely also do it because I want to live my values. Eben, uh, I'm available for internships over the summer. I'm happy to come out and uh, give a helping hand on the farm and just sort of tidy up whatever you need. That's great because I got a lot of wood to split. Great. Evan, thank you very much. Thanks for the time. That's it for this episode of Forbes Under 30. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to reach out to us with a comment or question, please do so at under30, that's the number 30, at podcastone.com. I'm Rob Cisternino, the aptly named Rob Has a Podcast, where we're creating a fun, smart conversation around reality TV games like Survivor. And this March, Survivor Game Changers is finally here. Join me weekdays for episode recaps, player interviews, and of course, your feedback. So if you're ready for a game change in your own Survivor experience, download Rob Has a Podcast at podcastone.com on the Podcast One app or subscribe on iTunes. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on everything you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals to help you save during our spring Black Friday sale, like Bonnie Vegetable and Herb Plants, four for $10. And for a clean-looking landscape, pick up five bags of Scott's Mulch for just $10. Whatever's on your spring to-do list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417, not valid on Alaska or Hawaii. Bonnie offer valid on 19-ounce pots. See store for details, U.S. only. At the border, I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying, and the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.